Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Crypto Market Watch. I'm your host, Marsh Frost, and as ever, I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Nick. How are you, Nick? I'm all right, mate. Good this week, yeah. Yeah, it's been a good week. In terms of this week's conversation, I think we're both really looking forward to this for a different couple of reasons from different perspectives. Again, it's been Dow selected, and the topic that has come up that was selected by the Dow is rug pulls. I know this is something you're super excited about. You have a good rug pull. <laughs> I've been collecting them. You have. I'm yeah, I'm not shocked that you've got this many types of rug because people are very creative. But I'm shocked that you've actually been able to like categorize these and organize them essentially. Yeah. We're nuancing the rug narrative. We were saying that just beforehand, how you know, a rug pull is a very generic term. It's a catch-all, basically, isn't it? It is. And that's maybe part of the problem, actually, is that you need nuance to be able to actually understand what's going on and then to be able to convey the message to others what's going on. Yeah. I mean, it's they are very prevalent. One of the things we'll talk about is some recent research I found on this. And yeah, the, the goal is to educate people on the ways that you can lose money in this space. On the ways of the rug. Ways of the rug, indeed. <laughs> so I think you've, you, there's something you brought up actually earlier this week, which is a tweet, right? And that was actually, yeah, I think maybe was not, let's say inspiration, but it's definitely going to inspire a lot of this conversation we have for today. And that was about Uniswap and the rug pulls over there. Do you want to go into that a bit? Yeah, so I had a semi-viral tweet this week, mainly because Kobe retweeted it. I don't think there's basically any point. Oh, really? Yeah, but it's this. There's no point in tweeting unless Kobe retweets it. But yeah, so basically, it, very simple. I just said, according to this research, 97.7% of tokens launched on Uniswap were rugs. And linked to this paper called Do Not Rug On Me, Zero Dimensional Scam Detection, which I instantly thought they should have called it Don't Rug Me Bro instead. <laughs> Do Not Rug On Me? It doesn't make any sense. But yeah, basically, the paper is a nice bit of research, actually, some Guys have done some on-chain analysis, and they basically looked at the Uniswap contract. So the Uniswap is like a factory contract. It allows you to launch liquidity pools. So anyone can mint an ERC-20 token, but it doesn't have a market. But Uniswap, being an AMM, algorithmic market maker, allows you to build a tradable market out of your token by providing both sides of the market in liquidity. And... These guys basically did some data analysis on, picked a window and looked at all the tokens launched on Uniswap in a time period and did some analysis on whether they were rug pulls or not. And <clears throat> largely this is just looking for when a rapid reduction in the token price to basically zero or the LP tokens were burned and... Um, which means that they just pulled the LP tokens out. But yeah, it wasn't exactly great news for the space. 97.7% of tokens were rugged within, some, mostly within 24 hours. Yeah, so I think it amounted to out of 23,000 tokens, around 600 ones persisted in the market thereafter. So yeah, that went viral. A lot of people picked it up. I'm starting to come to terms with the fact that the tweets that I have that do really well are generally anti-crypto tweets. And yeah, so it got picked up by the anti-crypto crew, got picked up by the Bitcoiners who always relish in the kind of... I saw some and of it, Yeah, that's all the Bitcoiners retweeted it and stuff. So yeah, it's not great news for crypto. And I thought this would be a good opportunity to go into what a rug pull is 
and essentially establish what we actually mean by 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 what a rug pull is. It's morphed into this thing where people think just the token price going down over time is then being rugged. It's not. <laughs> That's just like you didn't get rugged by Bitcoin because it went down 70%. You just lost in the market. Yeah, I thought it'd be nice for us to, to get into it. I've created a rather elaborate taxonomy of rugs, which I'm still working on. I think I've managed to compile about 17 different flavors of rug. I We might not go through all of them, but yeah, we can start. It's one of my forthcoming tweets will be going through each of these different kinds of things. And largely the goal here is to educate people a little bit on the ways in which whoever's running the token that you've invested in might rug you to zero. Yeah, I think, like you say, you have got an extensive taxonomy here of different types of rugs. I was actually thinking it's more like chapters of a book. Yeah, I could write a book on this. <laughs> I might do one day. So there's, as you can tell, there's a lot to go through here. So I think we probably need to just jump into these. And so we might not go through all of them, but we'll make you aware of what they are in their highest form if we don't go into detail. So should we start with most basic rug? Yeah, I call this... So rug is a crypto term. I first heard it in about... 2020. But really, it, we used to just call these things exit scams. So there were loads of these in 2017. I would say the similar sort of percentage we've talked about as this research talked about 97 odd percent was the same case in the ICO boom of 2017, ICO season. But we just called them exit scams then. And essentially what the most basic rug is that you collect a load of money off people and run off with it. And th this is this is largely why securities laws existed, right? So this is a tale as old as markets. Someone creates an investable object and then convinces you you're going to get really... And you go ahead and give them the old money and then they just disappear. And that is an exit scam. And so really when we talk about a rug pull, you know, the phrase comes from pulling the rug out from underneath you. It's the idea that you got duped in to buying something, you've given someone your money, and they've just gone and yanked it away. They've just done a runner with it. So when we're talking about a rug pull, the dynamic for me is that there is a group of people who are ultimately in control of the money, and they've ran away with your money, right? Like, and everything thereafter is how do they do it? It's a, there's many ways of doing it and being aware of the ways that it can happen allows you to protect yourself against buying stuff that where it's more likely to happen. I suppose in terms of like parallels to most people who are not in crypto, this is the closest sort of scam to modern day sort of con jobs basically. Isn't yeah, it? it's a classic con. Yeah. Basically, you give people money for something that you think you're going to get and you turn out to be rugged. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically it. It's a it's a scam. And yeah, the, a lot of people responded with that paper, which is, are these really rugs? Because it's just, it's actually closer to spam. Like 23,000 tokens. Most of them had barely any pretense of actually ever being doing a project. Yeah. Actually, actually being a project at all. It's more like noise. And experimentation as well. There's a yeah. new tool. Like, let's all experiment and make yeah. stuff. And a lot of them went to zero, but it wasn't because they rugged anyone. It's just because there's no value in them. Yeah, potentially. And I think the... the the way that they did the research, it implied that there was intent there to do it. So the goal is to lure people into your liquidity pool. And essentially what you can do is 
so how AMMs work. So let's say we're setting up a new token. So let's say I set up Nick token and I pair it with ETH. So I determine the rate at which it's traded for. So say you get a thousand Nick tokens for one ETH. So let's say I put a hundred ETH in and a hundred thousand tokens and now there's a market. So if people put Ether in and take Nick tokens out, then the price of Nick tokens will go up based on this XYK curve that the Uniswap V2 AMM runs on. So basically what happens is people see the token price going up because it's moving up this curve. People are taking, people are swapping ETH for tokens. And then ultimately, if you hold the LP tokens, so the LP tokens are a derivative object. So if I put 100,000 NIC tokens in and 100 Ether, I get back some LP tokens, which are actually the square root of token A and token B. That's how many LP tokens you get. Now, if I just take those LP tokens out, I take all the money out. If I'm the only LP, so the next one I've got on the list is what I call the classic rug. So the classic rug is someone holds the LP tokens and that's the rug. So who holds the rug? The guys who put the original liquidity in. Other people have taken tokens out, put more Ether in. So what I might end up with is 5,000 NIC tokens and 200 ETH. So I've just made 100 ETH as I reclaim those LP tokens and take everything out of the pool. And because I was the only liquidity provider, there's no tradable market anymore and the token goes to zero. Um, it, there might be other people who've come in and become an LP at that point. So one of the ways you can spot this is how many liquidity providers there are in the pool. If there's one LP provider, one person holds the rug. And the chances of it being a rug pull are very high. That is a really good insight. <laughs> I'm glad you think so. No, I, I don't think many people would be thinking to look at the liquidity pool and to see yeah. how many providers there are. So diversity on the LP, <laughs> the metric is who holds the rug. Yeah, how many people hold the rug. Yes, how many people hold the rug. If it's one person, they control the market and they are the liquidity provider. And any person who swapped their tokens for Ether has just given them money, basically. Right. It's just waiting to happen. Great pool. So yeah, that's the classic rug. The LP tokens get yanked. And yeah, so a lot of what was discovered in that paper is that event happening, basically. They looked at the transactions where someone has just yanked the LP tokens out. And yeah, it's that's it. Game over for that token. Got it. And then you've got the token rug. So this is the one thing that this is... If you only understand like three of these things, these three things are the most important things. So a lot of people, and one of the findings of this paper was that there's a tool out there called Unicrypt, which allowed you to basically burn or lock your LP tokens up for five years. Some people were doing it for 50 years or whatever. And what that implies is like, all oh right, the, this person, whoever the liquidity provider is, is not holding those tokens because they've sent them to a smart contract and locked them up. So that gives you this full sense of security that I can't be rugged because people got on fairly early on to actually, yeah, if someone pulls these LP tokens out, the game is over. Oh, but look, they've locked them up. And here's the Unicrypt transaction that proves that those have been escrowed away. 
and they can't be taken away, which provides people with a sense of security. The problem is there's more than one way of getting that ether out of the pool with the tokens in, and the other is dumping the tokens in. So if I've put 100,000 NIC tokens in with 100 ether, if I'm holding 10 million NIC tokens, all I need to do is dump them into the pool and take the ether out. Um, and that's the token rug. And that's the other side of the game. In fact, one of the DGENs that you know responded to my tweet this morning was like, ah, but this DEX locks the tokens up, locks the LP tokens up. So you must lock the liquidity for at least three months. But that actually might even be worse than that not happening because people think it's safe now. So they put more money in. Yeah, so they put more money in. They think it's safe. <clears throat> I looked at their white paper. It said rug pulls are impossible. Like you can't, means there are no more rug pulls. And actually this is totally naive. Titanic star thinking. Yeah, it's just because no one thinks at this third layer of the game, right? The, where, what's happening with the tokens, which is why... At Factory Dow, we've built this vesting system. One of the, I found it was the first thing that we was a vesting contract for the tokens to prove that we don't hold enough tokens to end the game. And actually, it's a rather sophisticated mechanism which allows you to set the emission schedules of the tokens so the tokens go to the various actors on a predictable schedule. And that's the other side of the game. So just locking the liquidity is 50% of it really it doesn't really protect you at all. If whoever's holding a whole load of tokens on the other side can easily snatch all the money out in one transaction, and it's just as easy to rug a token that way. And it's honestly surprised me that this gone around the space as much as this knowledge hasn't gone around the space as much as it, I thought it might. And to the point where there's whole startups out there who are building, like telling people it's safe now because we've locked the LP tokens. Actually, no. The token rug is probably more common and i think that was one of the findings of the papers as well it wasn't always the case the the lp tokens got yanked and it was game over it was mostly people dumping the tokens in and running off well, sophisticated the token it's an it's the second layer game yeah like it's just the easy way to do it is yank, the, away, LP. yank yep. the lp tokens but <clears throat> and largely people still think that makes you safe if it's locked in unicrypt and yeah so the token rug is the other way it's done and again it can all be done in one day, April tokens in, and it's all over. And then you've got the slow rug, which is, I think, really interesting. Actually, it's very similar to a previous one. Go on. Yeah, so the slow rug is basically scammers who are playing the slightly longer game, right? So a lot of the meme coiny dog Ponzi contracts that went around. So, for example, Safe Moon was a slow rug. And I don't think that's fairly controversial. It's gone down 99.9%. But the goal here is to prolong the game, right? So the real wins, and, and, you know, rather astutely, a lot of people commented on that paper and said, actually, we should be looking at this on volume because most of those 97.9, of rugs happened, like, in a very short time horizon, it's like they pile a bunch of people in and it's all over very quickly. Whereas actually the scam, and this probably in that analysis means the 2.3% is actually still full of rugs as well, <laughs> which actually means it's worse. And basically what happens here is we run a game, we set up a telegram group, we might even have a website, we'll start getting some marketing so that 
keep the when marketing gremlins happy and everyone can see there's work being done. So like SafeMoon was a good example of this. They called it a fair launch. So typically these things start with a, in quotation marks, fair launch. And what that means is they're claiming that the team don't hold any tokens. So we're not going to token rug you because we don't have any, right? It was started fairly. Typically they will use some ridiculously high token supply. So something in the quadrillions. So SHIB, I consider probably something close to a slow rug as well, was, yeah, quadrillion token supply. It's an unfathomably large number. Uh, 15 zeros, something like that. And what that means is that the token price is like 0. 0.00000. So it's less than Pico pennies, which means you can actually buy like 15%, 20%, 30% of the token supply out of the market after you've launched it for very cheap. So you go and buy $1,000, you launch it, it's a fair launch. We don't have any tokens ourselves, but you're the first buyer in the pool. Right, So you get your tokens to do the rug anyway. But you look like a legitimate buyer. Like it looks like someone's got hyped and everyone's aped in. And a lot of these high unit bias tokens, like quadrillion tokens, they, they were fair launches, but all the insiders bought the tokens anyway. And they might even get a few mates in this time. So it's not just the guys running the project. They've told their friends and they get in super early. And then the game goes on for a bit. And SafeMoon got to a billion dollar like market cap at one point. It got to the point where Portnoy, Dave Portnoy, yeah. was <clears throat> when I remember this. He put fifty grand into SafeMoon, yeah. and I think at that point I said, "This is the top. These things will go down ninety nine point nine percent quickly. Get out now." And Do you want to know? I knew it was the top for that project. It was on the LBC radio. Yeah, they were talking. Some presenter was yeah. talking about it. And I was like, "That's it's game over." So basically what they were doing, it was so weird. I saw it bubble up through the sort of crypto dungeons and the Telegram chats and people were going, save moon, save moon. And I thought, this is a weird spin on when moon. Like, why is, I think this is getting rugged and people, that's digested into the space. So safe moon was a play on, it's safe to buy this. And yeah, I thought, what is this? And at that point, it was like, if I'd just bought 100 bucks worth then, I would have had $20 million of it at one point because I saw it very early on. And then when I sort of clocked that it was a, actually a project and not some weird new degen language, went and looked at it. And it, yeah, it was fairly obvious that it was one of these unit bias manipulation games. But they were getting a lot of money from somewhere to like the they had one of the early videos was like all these like girls in bikini tops like washing a car like you know. lambo yeah it was lambo or something it was one of these like ridiculous sports cars with safe moon written on the side <clears throat> and it was like girls in bikinis and you're all going to get super rich and all this sort of stuff which is just like when djs say when marketing that's what they mean <laughs> that's what they want to see so they were just ticking that is like <laughs> when marketing they want that yeah that they did the whole marketing thing and now it's pumping right and then what happens is the zeros start ticking off and then they start saying yeah we're gonna we're going to they had this huge campaign where they were going to set up wallets for africa and all this sort of stuff and i think they actually did have a group of people out there saying yeah the wallet's going to come out it's going to be huge and yeah it got ridiculously pumped up high. and this thing had at this point hundreds of millions of dollars of volume now, they did actually hold a load of tokens. And they said X amount of this goes to some kind of tax, 
right? So every time you transfer the token, some of the value that you're sending ends up in some wallet. They control that wallet. They also said X amount of it gets burned. The LP tokens get burned. They controlled that wallet as well. And <clears throat> what they're actually doing is bleeding the money out slowly. Um, but they're pumping it as well as taking the money out. So where are they getting the money from to brand up Lambos and buy a load of bikini girls to wash it? Because they're bleeding money out of the game. This was happening with things like SHIB, things like Safe Moon. They were slow rugs. And basically, normally this plays out. It works for a while because people don't know how many tokens they're buying. You're buying, you put in 100 bucks and you get like 48 trillion tokens or something. And you think you're rich. And really what you're doing is just giving your money to this group. You're taking out a little bit all this. So they keep bleeding it, keep bleeding it, keep pumping it. They'll reinvest that money back into pumping it and pumping it. Some of the dog tokens this they did this. They got to the point where they were advertising on tubes and buses and Times Square billboards and all this sort of stuff. And re it works because they're pumping it. But they're also siphoning the money out at the same time. And like people also accuse projects of being slow rugs if they just don't build quickly enough or whatever. That's not really a... That's the thing, isn't it? That's what I mean by the word rug is just... Yeah, it gets... This is what like people have... I went on holiday for a week at one point in like 2021. And like... I had DJs messaging me saying, where have you gone? Is this a slow rug? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And it's like, so yeah, the slow rug is a longer game, but they're still doing, they're just doing the token rug thing. Yeah. Or some combination of the previous two. Yes. On a longer time horizon. Which probably, which gives them a higher chance to make more money and have exactly. more success. This is the bigger game. Yeah. The, the, they made like tens of millions of dollars about that. Like right. huge amounts of- Next I've jail. I'd, yeah, I don't like, I have no idea how they got away with it, to be quite honest. But yeah, that's the slow rug. And then you've, I think this is interesting the sly rug. Yes, I call it the sly rug is that we've been hacked. Right. So during the point where hacks were really prevalent, like things have broken and the, all the money's being wrecked out of the contract or whatever, typically I would say. Any project that says they've had their private keys comp compromised is a sly rug, right? So they've basically, it's happened to some people There's where they've just like been using MetaMask and they get fished and actually they're holding the keys to the treasury. But ultimately, multi-sigs should make this very difficult. But really, sly rug is the, yeah, we've been rugged. Like someone's compromised our private keys, and ran off with the treasury and rugged all the liquidity out of the token. But in fact, it's an inside job, right? And, th and this is a crucial trust problem when it comes down to you know, the insiders, the project, the people who are setting it up, actually sitting there holding the keys to everything. So I saw a load of these happen in 2018 where the bear market kicks in. And then what's happening there is there's three guys on a M of N multi-sig looking at their treasury, dwindling away. Now, on the token holder side, they've watched their token go down 70% or whatever, but they're looking at their treasury and it's still like $14 million or something because it's got whatever's left in the treasury from the money they raised and all the tokens that are sitting there. They might have 60% of the token supply sitting in their multi-sig. They're looking at it thinking, maybe, 
Should now we or do never. It? It's now or never. Exactly. Yeah. And the it's sometimes the temptation is too much for these people are people. And this isn't like we set this project. This is necessarily we set this project to rock people up to scam people. Yeah. Whereas everything we've set up to this point is this is. And sometimes if you've got an M2 of three multi-sig, the, Collusion. The, the third guy might be like, what happened? Completely unaware. Yeah. And the two guys have just gone, let's just move to Acapulco. Do you know? And so, yeah, that's the sly rug. It was lovely in the Bermuda Triangle this time of year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's, I'm not going to give any examples for this one because there's some I suspect and I don't want to get sued. Curious. But, we'll talk off air. On <laughs> yeah, well, we'll ask me when I'm drunk at some point, <laughs> and I'll tell you. But there was there was a few, well, oops, we've lost $200 million. Recent as well. There's a, wasn't there? It happens fairly frequently. Yeah, There's and Some of the bridge though. hacks have been like, this is like a two or three multi-sig that have gone, and, and like all of a sudden $15 million has disappeared. And I'm just thinking, really? Yeah. And the, I mean, without going on about factory down and stuff, oh, <clears throat> The whole conversation for us, which is that journey towards decentralization, the further we can get along that spectrum and yeah. enable other projects to do that, the less likely almost any of these things are to happen. Well, this is it. As usual, the solution is DAOs. That's yeah. why I think we, we can get through to the end of this list and then look how many of these solve. But if there isn't a small number of people controlling under the, all the funds, and actually there's a robust smart contract holding all the funds, that's accountable to a wider group of people, that gets very hard to do. Sometimes this happens with minting keys as well. So there's there's minting keys for the token where there's a management key controlling the ability to mint more tokens. And then someone mints a quadrillion tokens and then just takes all the liquidity out of the pools. Yeah, I just, I'm looking forward to saying this. The pump and rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, people call this a pump and dump, but it's the sticking with the theme I've called this the pump and rug. So this is one of the most egregious things I saw in the last cycle, which was mostly centered around the launch pads. The launch pads were like the sketchiest, like overtly sketchy outfits for the most part. And the game here is you can, if you amass a group of DGENs, everyone wants to get in early. Like everyone wants to get on the right side of the game. So getting to slightly more elaborate now, instead of three guys or like a handful, a small group of insiders setting up a project and then with the intention to scam, mm. we get a bit more longer term game where there's it's a little bit more elaborate. So everyone's onto us now. So we need, now we need to get a little bit more elaborate in the way that we do this. And this one, in many cases, had a lot of VCs on side. This was actually part of the game for about 18 months and and yeah i hated it it was just like the what this is what this is more of an asymmetric game so you get you sell a bunch of tokens to insiders either vcs or angels or anyone you, you want on the right side who's going to put some money into the pot and then you sell those tokens at a heavy discount so let's say you sell them a, a penny you might sell them some at a penny, some at two two pennies, some at three pennies. And then you say that there's a supply available for the public. And let's say it's 10 cents, right? The listing price is 10 cents. You get as many people as you can who want that allocation of tokens. Yeah, I've been in this game. Most Re people Republic, right? Republic's one of the platforms oh, that Republic's does this. Republic's like one of the... It is a kind of launch pad. That's this Republican coin list are about the most 
legit ones out there. Yeah, that's the, they're the only ones I've used, and no to no success. But yeah, they're the good ones. Yeah. I'm to, like I'm again resistant to you, you know the launch pads I'm talking about. Yeah. Basically, what happens is they say there's seventy grand's worth of tokens available, and things like CoinList, the legit ones, will sell. 10%, 15% of the supply, a reasonable, like enough to absorb as much of the demand as they can. Yeah. It gets scammy when you get like 100,000 people and then give out allocations to like 500. Yeah. The goal is to build up excess demand for the token on listing day. Yes. Dangle some affordable tokens to a small make that game really competitive get yes. everyone really throffy about it yeah yeah. everyone wants in that aloe because it's free money and in fact they do get free money yeah. they get their tokens they get their 10 cents with like 10 cent tokens and what happens you've got this huge pent-up demand behind who want that token on listing so they're going to buy it on listing now the way amms work is that the rate of token price appreciation is a function of the depth of the token. So how much liquidity, the how much money you pair it with. So if I get my 10 cent token and pair it with $100 worth, so what they often did is use the money that they, that was raised on the, on the launch pad, so 70Ks worth of Ether, for example, with the token. That then becomes the liquidity on the AMM, and now you've got your like 400,000 DGENs who pile into that. And the result is it it flies up very rapidly up the up the AMM curve and your 10 cent tokens goes to $5. And you get a lot of these people who then they just hit buy on listing and within 3 blocks it's at $5. So everyone just buys the top and now you've got more liquidity in the pool. And then everyone on the other side of the game dumps their tokens. Yeah. Essentially rugging everyone who bought it on listing. Yep. So that's the pump and rug. You fire excess demand into a low float AMM. It pumps the token to the point where whatever ridiculous shitcoin you've got has got a $5 billion fully diluted valuation. And then the some of the better ones, everyone on the right side of the game is vested but they paid a penny, and it's now five bucks. Like, they can dump this thing down all the way to a penny. And in fact, if you look at the charts... That's what they do. They do. Yeah, exactly what that's they do. That's exactly what they do. They yep. can rug it all the way to the ground, because actually, they paid off their principal investment in the first block. Yes. And actually, this game got even worse, because then the arbitrages playing the MEV game, were doing all this with bots. Yes. So... All of the normies come in and buy by hand in the first few blocks. You know, they're hitting by buy on listing. And basically everyone, all the MEV bots have bought it, bought their tokens on listing and then sold it at, at, within a block at the top. So it all just got botted. It was in, and this is, this is an intentionally inflated supply that if you got in that allocation of the $70,000 $70, worth of tokens, you made a lot of money out of it. So this dragged in a load of DGENs who actually had a few wins from it, which suckers them even more into it. So they'll double down into the next launch and the next launch and the next launch. And yeah, that was the game. That's the pump and rug. I think for those who are uninitiated to the rug game, I think that is that's such... The, that's the core stuff. Yeah, that's really fundamental. <clears throat> I think we're getting 
they're going to get a little bit more esoteric here. I was going to ask you, what did you want to go to next? As you're on this list, there's a few. We'll still get we can go to. I think that I tried to order them in the ones that are most helpful. Okay, perfect. That we can spend the most time on. So the next one is the insider rug. The insider rug. So this is when I just love saying rug. I've realised. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll have said it many times by the end of this podcast. So. What I've said here is the supply is cornered by insiders and the only way is down. Now... It's very similar, though, to Pump and Rug, right, in a sense that... Yeah, there's been some big games ones on this. I've said this publicly on Twitter, so I might as well say it here. The ICP, the Definity Project, is yep. just like the tent pole example of this, where it's you've got your colourful pie chart, your tokenomics, and it's got ten different slices in it. But seven of them are all insiders. They're all on the right side of the game. So there's team, foundation, initial investors, ecosystem tokens, blah, blah, blah. My parents. Yeah, <laughs> friends and family. Every, yeah, friends whatever. and family. And actually, they're all controlled by investors. And largely what this people, projects have got greedy on the raise, raised as much money as they could by keep selling the tokens to the point where they've sold a lot of the supply and actually it's 70% owned, cornered. Ah, got it. So they got themselves in this position because of their raise. Yes. It wasn't so much that they were maliciously setting out to be a bad actor because I think they had a good idea of what they wanted to create. It's hard to refuse money. Yeah. You've got big funds going, we'll give you $30 million now. Yes. 5% of your token supply or 10% of your token supply. Yeah. Hard to say no. And they'll think, Oh, the more money take, the better we better chance of success we've got. When marketing, we can answer all yeah, these questions. Yeah, no, we can go and pump this. And actually, the token economy is dead on arrival. Yes. Because there is no way for people on the other side of the game to win, ever. Yeah. Because what, whatever the prices that they the insiders bought the tokens at, especially if it starts with an incredibly inflated token price on on listing. So I think ICP had something like a 50 or even $100 billion valuation on launch day. And it's feasible, whatever liquid tokens you've got, even if it's just, if you've just got 2%, 3% of your tokens available on, uh, on listing day, you can pay off your principal which means that you're free riding on the remaining 97% of your tokens that you bought, so it's literally costless for you to sell them. You can literally sell it to zero because you've paid them off. Like, anything from now is free money. Yeah. And a lot of token supplies fall into this. So it's like there's some out there The you know, 30-40% of the supply is owned by 30-40 people and they've paid off their principal already and they can sell it to zero. Just quickly, what framework do you look at with this then? So is it like you need to see X amount of holders with X percentage? I think you've got to be looking at, so most of the time there will have been X token supply sold to initial investors. You don't want that supply to be too big. You want... Like 5%. No, I think you can go up to 20% potentially. But what you want to see is those investors vested. So Locked away. Yeah, if they're locked away over numerous years, then that can be just counted as inflation. Yes. And they shouldn't have access to the listing. Or 
if they are part of the listing retail. So it's possible, like I've, I've been thinking about this for our factory DAO token economics. I think actually you want a liquid float that's quite big on day one. So a lot of the times we see, and this is a sort of feature of this kind of rug pull, is that you'll get 5% of the float is liquid. So 5% of the 100% of the tokens is the circulating supply. And what that means is that the market cap looks small. You know, that you might have a $20 million, $30 million market cap. But actually, when you look at the fully diluted vote valuation, and you take into account all the other tokens, it's actually valued at $2 billion. And it's incredibly overvalued. Yep. The DGENs just look at market cap. Oh, the market cap's kind of low. I think this could go a lot higher. When actually, it's already deeply overvalued. So what you want to be looking for me is around 20% at least liquid on day one. That can be the initial investors because what you're looking for is a fair valuation on listing. So you want everyone can be liquid with their tokens as long as they're not sitting on 20, 30, 40x on day one. So for me, and again, this is why a lot of what we've built is to mitigate against these kind of asymmetries in the market. Our launch system is a token auction system. So we find the fair launch price. So you don't get this absurd pump to $5 billion valuation on day one because that's absurd. What you want is a price discovery moment where people are buying it based on the valuation that they perceive the project to have. Yes. So taking all all that kind of initial day one speculation into an auction system means that you can launch at the average weighted price of the auction, and what you've done is found, like, the mean... Yeah, you smooth out the swing high, swing low. You found the average perception of what the network is valued at, and that's the listing price. And all of the liquidity that is collected in that auction is the liquidity that goes into Uniswap. So instead of really thin float, you actually get a very deep pool on day one. And all of the the vast majority of anyone who got in early is vested over a period of time and our bank app will show you their exact emission rate over time and that can be monitored over three years to see how how many of those initial investors are selling and that's public and open information mm. so everyone can see the if there's if there's 90 percent of the investors are just selling the tokens come out by the second and they're selling every every day dumping out the retail can see it yeah, and it's just about information and reducing asymmetry. So, mitigating against a pump and dump, making sure anyone who was on pre-listing has they take on additional risk by being locked up for a longer period of time because money has a time value. So, if they're getting cheap tokens, let's say, then they're if they're locked up for three years, you can discount the future valuation of those things. And that squares off the discount that they bought the tokens on, essentially. Yeah. By introducing a secondary risk. This is what VCs can do. VCs have large amounts of capital when other people don't, right? So they're willing to take longer term, five to eight year bets on something. Whereas your typical retail participant works on much shorter timescales. Minutes. <laughs> Minutes. The DGENs are in and out on in one day. And so it's basically about leveling that playing field. You don't want to see a huge amount. The token supply is 70% cornered. It's never going to work. There's literally nothing you can do about it at that point. You've screwed it up. doesn't matter even if you build the best blockchain. Like if you build the best L1, 
and 70% of people own the tokens, it's never going to be decentralized because it's yeah. just the whole network's owned by insiders. So it can't be decentralized. So yeah, that's the kind of insider one. The next one I've put is like the algorithmic rug. Now, one of the things that people kept saying actually is you can't really call these rug pulls because they're in and out in one day. And a lot of those rugs are things like, I think Scott Lewis pointed this out to me, that there's a lot of these that are basically mimicking tokens that people do want to buy that are legit projects. So you can think of, I think the example he uses, the comp token. Marketing scam. Sorry, marketing rug. More close to a phishing scam. So basically, so take this comp token. Yep. You s- swap the O out for a zero, it looks like the comp token. Right. So what you're doing is duping people into buying a token that they think is another one. It's actually that one. Yep. So what you get a lot of, particularly on listing days, this happened to us with finance.vote. We had about, some of it really shocked me. We had another... So anyone can make the same token, right? So we had about five different tokens called FVT listed on that day, but they're not our token contract. You can name your token whatever you want. So you can make another comp token. You can either spoof it with a zero or just make another one with a different token contract. And you're just basically trying to scam people into thinking that's the legit token. So you set up a pool with a fake token that's mimicking another one. And actually, this is so easy to do, you can do it algorithmically. So you can set bots up. So there's, there was, I found one day in particular during the bull run where there was 4,000 rugs in a day on BSC. And that was peak. That was peak yeah, that was like when it went super insane. And actually what's happening there is there was about three or four actors you could trace the funds back to three or four wallets and actually it was three or four actors running bots spamming these things convincing hope they're just picking up the stray dj who wants comp token and buys the wrong one and then they'll wait until they get a few dupes and then rug it and you can do hundreds of these a day so the there's no limit to, the only thing it costs you is gas to deploy the contract. To deploy the pool, yeah, and then rug it. So yeah. it's like, on Uniswap, this actually started to cost a lot of money at one, one point. It would have cost you a good thousand or two thousand dollars to deploy an, a, a Uniswap pool. But on BSE, you can do this for less than five bucks. The, it was, the even at peak times, it's super cheap to do. So a lot of these are like close to spam. Then, and then that's why they're like algorithmic rugs. It's just like some scammy operators just trying to dupe people into passing DGENs who are not t- paying attention. And as soon as you put the money in, it's gone. Like, you, you go and buy, like, $1,000 worth of comp token, and it goes, boop, it's gone. The second that you've put it in the token. It costs them £5 to deploy. But they've taken your they've taken your $1,000. So there's a lot of that. And I think most of that 97.7% is that. So, yeah, I think it's... The very quick and dirty sort of way of doing it. Now I saw well, some. Did it though? That's actually quite. It's relatively technically involved, right? It may be a quick rug, like it may be minutes. Oh, you need to know what you're doing. You need to be able to write some smart contracts. For really, this. it's an. It's very efficient. <laughs> oh yeah, there's, it's an efficient process because you're not doing it manually. Yeah. I haven't lived in Telegram groups for a long time, and people say, "Nick, look at this." So I ended up being Gen DD as a service for quite a long time, and I saw. S- some of these got really elaborate, some of these mm, algorithmic things, where they would spin up a website and it's got the team on it and you click on there and they've got LinkedIn 
like profiles. Well, it's not hard to clone a site, is it? No, you could algorithmically clone the site, algorithmically clone the contract. The, do, the, whole the whole thing, thing was clearly generated in an automated fashion. Yeah. So they built scripts to do those. The way I clocked it was those. You can tell those these people do not exist. Gan generated AI faces. Yes. There's like it, the the people were like these are AI. This is an AI generated thing. This is a scam. But that everything was generated by script to the point where they they set up a little operation where they spin up the telegram group spin up the site mm. create a lot of free people even the people looking a layer deeper and checking if these people you know exist on linkedin or whatever they had profiles there they were algorithmically generated like it got wow yeah that was almost impressive it's, <laughs> it's like fair play but like that i saw i people, can respect the innovation yeah, absolutely it's, not the, the purpose of the outcome yeah wow exactly so yeah that i think Basically, the headline is, don't trust anyone, you know, that there's... Is this to encapsulate all rugs? Yeah, there's a few more. So, like, the, I've got things like, I think I've got the rug sandwich, which is a sandwich attack. And most people wouldn't call this a rug pull, but I do. Largely because the kind of MEV people like to think they're just arbitrages and not scammers. But, like, for me, you're just exploiting. It's just a trade, bro. If someone, some DGEN's paid some got their slippage set high tried to buy a thousand dollars of token and if it's sufficiently illiquid they can pump that token value up buy buy it before that user so a sandwich attack is basically you buy that token before you use a push the token up really high and then sell it to them and then dump your tokens back in so basically their trade sits in in, in between your buy and sell and under the right circumstances, it's. It, I've seen it on our market. Our token went from like a penny to fifteen cents in one block, and they'd pump it like the arbitrages use sometimes quite high capital to do this, and you've got nothing. You just get dust <laughs> out of your trade, and that for me is basically a rug. You you went to buy a thousand dollars of right. tokens for a penny, and you got two tokens for a thousand dollars or something. It's more. It's actually more rug of the individual than it is rug of the project. Yeah, Everything exactly. Everything else has been project orientated. Yeah. So then we've got into some like more esoteric stuff. For me, the people who got dusted with Tornado ETH, the dust rug. This is people like you. You can basically not be able to exit any of your crypto now yeah, yeah. because a sanctioned address is, you've interacted with a sanctioned address, which means that you are basically your the chances of you using a Coinbase account now are like zero. Yep. To the point where you can't exit the fiat anymore. You might as well have been rugged. Yep. The, I've got the bacon rug, which is a kind of, basically this is a spin on the bacon number. So the bacon number is how many degrees of Kevin Bacon you are on a film. So you can pick any film, and within X hops you can get to Kevin Bacon. You know? <laughs> Never so, heard of that before. Have you not? It's basically... There's, there's, a, there's real maths behind it. They call it the bacon number. And it's six degrees of separation. Yeah, I've heard of that. Using... Kevin Bacon as the sort of way to prove it. It's like an empirical proof. You can go from any film, whether it be Casablanca or Star Wars, to, to Kevin Bacon in six hops. But the Bacon rug is, okay, you are three hops away from Tornado Cash. So a lot of people, all of a sudden, couldn't use Aave. Like, people who got dusted discovered this. They're not allowed to access the front end for Aave now because they've got one of these things that detects how many, if you've interacted with the sanctioned address. Some exchanges go X hops, X hops out from that. So someone who interacted with 
Tornado Cash sent you some ether, and therefore you're on the blacklist as well. Now, some go to three hops out from this. So three hops is what, like, institutions will use as this is clean crypto. If you go to five, everyone is... I was going to say three, seriously. Six degrees of Kevin Bacon if everyone, every single address on the network is within six degrees of Tornado Cash. So there's a possible everyone is rugged scenario where some rule comes in that you are five hops. Five hops is the rule. You've just done it again, haven't you? <laughs> that's the end. You're that's just giving regulators ideas here. I know. We need to be mindful of it. <laughs> but no, I think you, you make a really yeah. uh, point there. And the Dow rug? That was a thinking about merit circle. So this is the one where I think it was YGG invested in merit circle, which is another DAO. It's a DAO that's essentially a, a guild. Where they invest that the guilds turned into like these sort of proto investment funds for gaming tokens and what have you. They YGG put in like a million dollars into it. And then the DAO decided that YGG hadn't contributed enough, hadn't been given enough value add and decided they should not get their tokens. So essentially rugged them from the project. Now, not quite rugged because they got they refunded them. But actually I think this will be a kind of rug pull where the DAO decides you should get rugged. They're not worthy. Exactly. And especially when now people are looking at things like SPTs with revocation rights, where I know people are designing these things where the DAO's decided you're a bad actor and you're rugged and we just revoked you and you're out. So I think that's going to be one for down the line. DAO's will rug people. The Merit Circle one was a kind of indicator of that. Really interesting. That is, and just going back to what we were talking about last week with like international digital waters. Yes. And having DAOs based in these sort of quote-unquote theoretical spaces where yeah. you can do whatever you want. If a DAO has that set of rules and you sign up, then that's that. Yeah, yeah. Like the DAO will decide you're not worthy and or just DAO votes to keep your money and not give it you back. And that's definitely going to happen. It will happen. I don't think those DAOs will last very long, but it will. they will yeah, last yeah. I mean, stuff. If you join the pirate ship and the pirate and you get mutinied, that's on you, right? Part of the game. Yeah. Rug. Right. Yeah, the vapor rug is just, it's vaporware. Like, you bought a token, which all the marketing says it's going to be great. It's white paper and dreams. It's going to take over the world. Very common. This is, and again, really what we've done here is mostly been talking about the 2.3% that's supposed to be good. <laughs> but actually, a lot of this stuff is, yeah, buy this. It's going to be amazing. And BitBoy says it's going to go 10,000x or whatever. And actually, they've got nothing. They've got no tech. They've got... It's quite common. Very common. And it's somewhat, this was really common in 2017, where everyone was promising these things, and there was barely any smart contracts around. So underneath the surface, underneath the marketing, it was actually vaporware. There was nothing. Most of the time, there was never in, any intent to build anything. It's just, let's keep the token, let's pump it, and you're pumping a token, and underneath there's no substance, there's no utility to it. It's just... It's, it's vaporware. The, yeah, the Inu tokens, the Inu rug, this is like people, you know, Elon's tweeted something and all of a sudden, I don't know, whatever he's talking about, blue, like the bird token. So I suggested that Elon should turn Twitter into a DAO and launch bird token. And sure enough, there's a bird Inu token knocking around um, because Elon's talked about it, free the bird, whatever. So with it, and this happens within, it's incredible. 
how quick there's like a race to launch these new tokens based on whatever meme is happening that day. And people buy them and they go like 10x because people think they're, to me, it's going to be, and I think largely the DGENs know what the game is here, but the game is that someone holds the rug (laughs) and it's all over sooner or later. It's like 99, like I like meme coins to a certain degree. I like the kind of frivolity of it. I think I like the silliness, but really they are scams. (laughs) And ultimately people are just gambling on whether that guy's going to rug them or not, whether they when, can get out. It's not if, it's when, isn't it's, it? Yeah, it's, it's not, not if, it's when. Yeah. Um, the wrapped token rug. Yeah, it's not a very good name for this one, but this for me is basically it's a bridge hack. A lot of people got rugged this year by holding wrapped tokens. So people think when you're on Solana, for example, that your wrapped Ether, S ETH or whatever they called the wrapped derivative of Ether is equivalent to ETH. It's not. What basically is the case is that the Ethereum, the real Ethereum, is locked in a bridge on the Ethereum's chain, and a minted token has been created on the other side, which is a wrapped... It's not even a wrapped token, that's why it's not a good name, but it's like a, it's a derivative object that represents one ETH. So there's supposed to be parity. This derivative object is one ETH... Yep. And I think they, I think it was WETH on there because it was a wormhole bridge, right? So that right. when wormhole got hacked, something like $600 million of Ether got stolen. Whoa. It was huge. It was like hundreds of millions of dollars. And what that meant was is that anyone holding ETH on Solana wasn't holding ETH on Solana. They were now holding a useless token that was not backed by anything. So in essence, you've been rugged. Everyone at once. And this is why bridges are like super dangerous. Yeah. Because it's like putting your money in a bank on one side and getting some pretend money on the other side with the view that you can go back to the bank and get your Ether back. Yeah. But if all that Ether's gone, the bank is empty. The promissory note is just an empty promise now. I owe you $1 million. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so really, this is a way to rug many people at once. So all the bridge hacks. A lot of bridge hacks this year. Yeah, lots and lots. Especially late, last quarter. Because they're all centralized again it's another feature of centralized weakness finance finance at the big one they did now i don't know how much that recovered because they essentially paused the chain didn't they yeah didn't hear what we should check out maybe for next week (laughs) i decided to restart it do a bit of digging to see how much of that they recovered Mm. but um yeah that so that one was the wormhole one jump trading the kind of big market make that they were heavily into solana so the whole chain having all this bad debt would have been catastrophic. So they just squared it off and they recapitalized and backed, rebacked all those tokens. But most of the bridge hacks didn't. The final one I've got here is the rebase rug. This happened a lot in Olympus Down and associated forks. You think you've got X amount of tokens, but actually the whole supply is being inflated all the time. It's when like people say that about Ethereum now, though. The new Ethereum is because it's no longer it's inflationary, inflationary now. No, it's always been inflationary. In fact, it's deflationary now. Okay, so in Bitcoin's inflationary, as much as the Bitcoiners like to think there's some deflationary token, actually, it's inflationary because they're paying the miners in Bitcoin who essentially dump it into the market to pay off their things. The inflation halves every four years, 
but now with Ethereum, you know, that we were paying miners, we're now just paying validators. Yeah. And now with the token burn, if more people pay in transaction fees than the fees that they're paying the validators, it's actually net deflationary. Yeah. And Ethereum has been in that state. So it's actually the opposite. Ethereum is now a deflationary token. But actually the rebase DAOs largely just played this game of, hey, you're getting a thousand percent AP, yeah, ohm and all that sort of stuff. And the idea was that actually if you're staked, you're not getting diluted. But really, if you're holding a token and not playing that sort of staking game, or if you're coming in late, what you're buying is that it's just the whole economy is being diluted to an extreme degree. So you're just like, your value is being inflated. Now, I suppose there's technically the case in Ethereum that if you're not staking... That's what I meant. Yeah, I think that's... I don't understand what you're referring to now. It's, yeah, but by a seven, essentially 7% a year or something, your share of the network is being diluted. But with if you include the fees and the deflationary dynamic, it probably offsets that a little bit. But but yeah, that's always the case. If you're not a miner in Bitcoin, you're, the Bitcoin that you're holding is essentially being diluted as more are coming into it. But Bitcoin's going to the state where it's actually a very tiny amount now. But yeah, so I mean... And there's another one, there's another rebase game, which Justin Sun likes to play, which is like, I'm adding another, there's not enough tokens. There's one, I think it was BitTorrent token, where I'm changing the supply from, it was one trillion tokens to something like nine septillion tokens or something. It was like more zeros than you can possibly imagine, which sounds great because you're getting a load of more tokens. But the rebase moment where it's all, like all of a sudden there's a huge drop in price because the tokens have gone and no one now understands what the real value of the token should be because yep. I've rebased it. It happens in the stock market called st- stock split yep. and basically it creates this confusion what around. Tesla did two years ago, right? Yeah, Tesla have done it. Amazon just did it, I think. Yeah, right. uh, but what it means is no one knows what the value of, th- what the price yeah. of it's meant to be. Yeah. We've just It's like a reset of the price. Yep. And it's a really easy way to dump a load of tokens in the market and get away with it because no one knows what the price is meant to be. It's funny you say that because you had a tweet up recently, which is, have you ever been rugged before? And how yeah. many times have you been rugged? Two separate tweets. <laughs> yeah. And I said, no. Yeah. I realise I've been rugged now. Yeah. I bought BitTorrent. I didn't buy much, but yeah. it was like, it's, it means a lot to me. BitTorrent is a sentimental thing. I yeah. believe in the BitTorrent network. Yeah. So I did. I bought some BitTorrent one. Yeah, there you go. And I'm not saying there's. It's very possible that Justin might have allowed that to find a fair price based on its new circulating supply or whatever. Um, so you're not necessarily being rugged, but it's just an. I've seen it done multiple times. Various tokens. We're rebasing, so we've got more tokens. Yeah. And it's just an opportunity to rug people. But anyway, yeah, I think there was like 17 different types. There, really I interesting. I think that's been incredibly informative. There's things I just wasn't aware of myself personally. And I spend a lot of time looking at this stuff. So. Yeah. And, and the goal here is for like allowing you it's, to understand the ways that you can get scammed in the space with a mm. little bit more nuance means you can look out for them a little bit more. So yeah, my sort of like rule number one in crypto is everything that can be rugged will be rugged. Yeah, I like that. Because you if you if there's someone somewhere holding like looking at a to- like for 15 billion dollars or 15 million dollars in a treasury thinking I could get away with this, they will. 
Yeah. It's just like the chances of this is almost mathematically proven out in game theory. The way to win is to cheat. So that the prisoner's dilemma um, was colloquially tagged as fuck you, buddy, the game, because the way you win <laughs> is by fucking your buddy. Yeah. You, that's, and basically, game theoretically, if the trust model isn't robust enough, it will fail. So I, I, it, I think there's two more rules, right? So everything that can be rugged will be rugged. Yeah. Any front end that can be hacked will be hacked. Any smart contract that can be exploited will be exploited. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think this it's this is adversarial games. Yeah. This is adversarial. And people need, if they're investing in this space, need to think adversarially. It's you versus everyone and everyone versus everyone. It's a, there are people, if you've got a smart contract on chain, there's many people looking to see if they can get the money out of it. Yeah. As a smart contract developer, your job is to play all against, you're playing against all those people. So you've got to imagine these various types of actors coming in. All oh, right, they're going to try and attack the contract this way. So I need to build in some checks that stop that from happening. So it's an adversarial game. And re reframing your trust of centralized projects allows you not to be rugged. So I put, I'm in the sort of never been rugged crew because I think like this. Like, I don't trust many projects, you know, that unless I'm very certain that there isn't a huge trust asymmetry and I'm actually, what I'm doing is trusting these three people not to rug me. If that's the case, I don't buy it. That's the way you've got to be. Why? And that's why we're poor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why I did make $100 million in the last, with a grand, like in the last cycle. Because actually, and most people, like the game turned into, there was... 25% of people who responded to that question had been rugged loads of times. Yeah, yeah. Which I was really shocked by. We're just too busy mid-curving everything, so we just... Largely we're too busy building. Who's got time to get rugged every day? No. Uh, and, like, and it's just totally got normalised, right, where people are, like, trying to play this hop-in-and-out game. Oh, yeah, it was a full-time job. Like, yeah. To, like, really... To be aware of the projects, to get in and out, to do all of these things. Jump in the discords, get on the whitelists, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Ain't got time for that. And But what happens in bear markets is that game gets a lot harder. It works when everything's going up. Yeah. So when market beta is rising at 10, 20% a day, then everything, that the tide's rising all the boats. And yeah, that's it. I hope that's been helpful. Think more adversarially. Keep an eye out for these various ways of getting scammed and you are less likely to get scammed. Or can I add another rug on, actually? Please, the go self, for it. The self-rug. Self-rug? Yeah, so... I, Is that like the Bored Apes giving their private keys? Something like that. <laughs> so this, this poor lad, he liquidity... I think he said he put liquidity into Uniswap V3. Yeah. He had liquidity in Uniswap V2 before. Yeah. Didn't realise he was going to get an NFT. Oh, sold the NFT. Sold the NFT. Yeah. For pennies. self-rug. He said he don't, don't rug yourself. <laughs> don't rug yourself. <laughs> A lot lad. of this is... Look, if you're buying... If you're buying bird token on the day that Elon's talked about it. For, for me, you're rugging yourself by doing that. You're asking for it. I have pretty limited, like, sympathy for some people playing these ridiculously de degenerate games. Yeah, but, I, I think I have zero. But yeah. not because I want them to get rugged, just because we know crypto is it's still the Wild West. It's still it's such a brand new space. Yeah. And this is, it's an important thing to hear you are on your own. Yeah. You are responsible for yourself and yep. no one's going to look out for you no. and thinking that some project is on your side 
is probably not the case. So yeah, I, I think you've got to readjust, especially in bear markets, you've got to readjust your risk framing and so not trust anyone. I'm still listening to that Lex Friedman Balaji interview. Yeah. It's really good. Is it? I'm gonna have to it's gonna really have to good. And one of the things Balaji says is that the, if you're giving an entity lots of trust, that probably means it's not worthy of your trust. Yes. If they're asking you to trust them, yeah, don't trust and, them. And that the more and more you give, the yeah. yeah, the more likely it is actually not on your side. Yes. It's like there's, it's very much the case that people who claim to be like virtuous and you can trust us, you can trust me, are normally the ones that are most likely to scam you. Yeah. Because they're like asking you to trust them. And I think actually that the whole framing of the space needs to be flipped back to you don't need to trust us. Yes. And that's very much what the system that we're trying to build for launching DAOs means that you don't have to trust anyone. I found that paper because I was looking for the data, like how bad is just the completely uncurated market? And it's bad, right? The complete. So what we need is if you've got vested tokens, you can't rug, the, rug them from the tokens. If you've got locked LP tokens, you're actually locked now in a kind of game theoretic equilibrium. If we want, if the people who created those tokens want to make money from it, they have to build something. Because if their tokens are locked up for like at least six months, um, for me, the creator should come out after the investors. Like you said, one, two year, three year time horizons before the team gets any tokens. Then they have to build something. They have to at least work on generating value in that token before they can make an exit. So if the creators can't exit, then they can't rug it. They have to do something with the token. They have to build value in that token. So really hitting this, vest the tokens, lock the LP tokens, find a fair listing price for the token based on what they've got at that time. And now you've started a market with what the real value is. And there's no value, there's no way for people to run off with any money until they've developed. So that for me builds a kind of robust starting point where you can go. And then, you know, all the stuff around the sly rug stuff, like all the money's locked in a treasury. Now, if in essence, the community controls that treasury and people who want to build that network in a decentralized fashion have to say, look, we want a hundred grand to go and do some marketing with it or whatever. They have to ask the token holders for that money. And then if they want some more, they have to prove that they've spent that money and done something with it. And for me, that really changes the trust dynamic again. The money comes out in periodic models, in periodic fashion. Small amounts of money leads to the treasury for identified use. And then the people who've then taken that money are accountable to the DAO. And if they have produced value, then they'll get more out of it. And so much of what we've just talked about can be offset by just better trust models and better levels of responsibility over the treasury funds. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely an opportunity for us at some point to really go through the tools that we built. Yeah, and 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 actually give real world applications for how those things could work in a crypto sense. I say real world, I mean in the crypto world for the time being. Yeah, but I think g genuinely now after reading after going through this with you, I'm like. That tool solves that. That tool solves that. I literally just ticking them off in my head. This is the first time yeah. I've read this. It's not like I've read this before. Yeah, it's because I worry about 
these things in the last cycle people didn't worry about it yeah no everyone was up for, loved rug pulls yeah there's yeah like people loved ponzi's like proper ponzi chases the and really i watched a lot of the icos i built some token models for icos pre-launch most of them didn't make it to market largely because you needed the money to get a listing on an exchange but because of Uniswap, that barrier to a liquid market disappeared. And, you know, we, what we needed, but even though the ones that did make it to market, ones that did even make it to Binance and whatever, they all failed because of inadequate trust models. And and this is like based building on our conversation last week about regulation. I was talking about regulation could even inhibit the generation of technological solutions to a lot of these problems. For me, all of that can be so much of those rug pulls that percentage could come down by 90% just through technological intervention yeah. without any external oversight or regulatory intervention. Yeah, which is, it goes along that self-regulation piece, right? It, it just, does. It's, it's there. It does. We just can just improve the way that we to- do token launches and you can solve a lot of these problems. I think on that note, what we can do is we can start to look at some of the news for the last week and what's been going on. Yeah. And to take this in a slightly different direction. But I do think that was a really interesting share, Nick. So thank you for that. Really no appreciate that. So yeah, this it's been a bit of a weird week. More so not nothing so much geopolitically or anything like that, just actually in weird crypto stuff. Yeah. And some technical sorry, some technology stuff like the Twitter piece. Like that's all a bit weird. Yeah, so certainly it has. It's actually not being super weird, Rishi's still here. He hasn't, been, <laughs> yeah. he hasn't been sacked yet, so yeah, we haven't tumbled our government over for this week. It's been largely pretty quiet. Yeah, no major crazy stuff yeah. happening globally that I saw that really caught my eye. The only thing I saw that caught my eye was apparently there's US troops on the ground in Ukraine. That is deeply concerning. If that is really? true, that's deeply concerning. That- Crosses a line. But doing, it could be misinformation. I, I hope it is just misinformation. <laughs> it could just be fake news. I'm not sure there'd be fake news. In yeah. Yeah. So, in fact, Elon's just dominate. I think this yeah. is our life now. I think all we're going to talk about is Elon from now on. In sinks. Because, like, I live on Twitter and it's Elon's house now. Everyone's super triggered about it. Um, the I think the kids call it based. <laughs> yeah. Elon is based for sure. Now... Yeah, so I think it must have happened since the last time we were in his... Is it this week he, when he came he, in with the kitchen That sink? was last week, Friday. So yeah, Elon's taken over. He's triggered a lot of people who are threatening to leave Twitter. They won't because they're addicted like the rest of us. They're not like... They're just, you're not. Where are you going to go? Are you going to go back to Facebook, really? For, 4chan. Yeah, where are you going to go? <laughs> you could go to Instagram. Then you're just in Zork's house, like that any better really so yeah there's no place else to go where are you gonna go parlor could go to parlor which is now kanye's that's better isn't it they might go over to tiktok but then you just you're in with all the tiktok kids and like the number one like stephen king was like i'm gone like enron which is a weird thing to say that means you're just gonna what you're gonna exit scam on us (laughs) he was super moaning about it like he might fit in at facebook but he ain't gonna go onto tiktok he's not gonna go down with the tiktok kids they're all gonna. St- they can. They're gonna moan. They're gonna scream at the sky. But for eight dollars a month, they can do it. Now. They ain't going. Anywhere. Yeah, and all that. So yeah, the, the kind of major thing, first intervention that he's done is said, 
we're reforming the blue checks. I think he's done this just to trigger the blue checks. Because, honestly, they do have this... In order to get a blue check, you have to be known. You have to be some degree known in some circles, right? Enough to be like... You basically have to send them like links to publications, right? So you can say, here's a... Here I was in Forbes. This is Forbes talking about me. This is Bloomberg talking about me. This is the journal nature talking about me. You have to send external validation that you are who you are and that you are of any kind of significance. I'd say you got these blue check things. And in fact, it was a bit of a dark art to how you got it. And in fact, some people spent thousands of dollars on like getting an agent to help them get it. So I've been offered services like this, where it's like, hey, do you want a blue check, Nick? Like, we, we just need to get to get this data from you. Have you been in any publications? That- I do love the fact that he's rugging their business model. Yeah, quite- and great. Get rid of this, yeah, obviously, like, cornered game. But obviously, a lot of people who did go through this game and get the validation for it don't want the, the, the masses, the elite position to be yeah, diluted yeah. right yeah, yeah. and what he's saying is like basically anyone can get a blue check it costs you eight eight dollars a month now and i think he actually took it down from 20 after arguing with stephen king and he went i'm not paying 20 dollars a month this is outrageous it's like stephen king's this huge lefty billionaire who refused to pay 20 dollars a month which is just absurd and yeah so the blue check thing but like for apparently Vitalik's got real concerns that this mitigates against the scams. And Grace, one of my Twitter friends, was saying, look, this is like actually not fair. It's not, you can't pay for accreditation. And I said, look, there's loads of blue, you can buy blue check accounts on the open market now. Um, and I think I said something like Cardano, NFTs, Bored Apes, and sure enough, a blue check account liked the post within two seconds, run by bots. So, they're already, in fact, again, if you've got a system that supposedly validates that you're a real person and they're scammers, that just makes those scams more successful. So actually, it's not scam proof as it is, because what normally happens is a blue check account gets hacked. That account gets sent on the secondary market. There's a lot of people who got blue check accounts and then just leave them dormant, just like they're done with Twitter for whatever reason. And all of those accounts get hacked and end up get sold on the secondary market. And yeah, the it's not a, it's not a scam proof system as it is. And so people will just need to reframe what the importance is of, of a blue check. If it does cost you eight bucks a month and you're harvesting counts, then that's going to at least cost you eight bucks maintenance to for those scam accounts. And actually, what in order to buy that scam account, you need to put a debit card in with your name and address on. You're doxing yourself. So if you then get a blue check account, you're paying Elon eight bucks a month, and then you start scamming people. There's a line back. To, it makes it does actually make it harder to run a, a scammy account. And so basically what I think he's trying to do is say, all right, if you're not blue checked, then treat that account as a possible scam. I don't like that because... I just think that's a bit outrageous, actually. But I don't mind what he's doing with the blue ticks, whatever, that's fine. But I don't think that if someone isn't blue checked, then they should be treated adversarially or less trustworthy. It goes back to the trust thing we talked about before. Should we just trust someone now because they've got a blue tick and they pay it bucks a month? That's basically what it was before. It was just like a bit more about legitimacy than whether so, you're a scammer or not. 
Yeah. I think it's an intervention that might improve the network, in all honesty. And then for a second act, he got rid of the board. Yeah. He got sacked on day one, didn't it? No, well, that was the, there wasn't the board. Oh, right. Yeah, it was, was like uh, senior management, VPs, senior management. SVPs, all those guys so got carted out. the board out. now, I missed now that. Yeah, last night, now he's ah, the sole board member. He is the king. It's um, Elon's house. It is Elon's house. That was always going to be the case. Like, he's, it was, we've gone to, so we've hit this max authoritarian point of this. Or Twitter. Yeah, it's yes. like max, it's not even authoritarian, it's autocratic. It's entirely Elon's project now. Yes. And he could, now just adding a board does decentralise that power to a certain degree. He probably still owns, it's more like an advisory board at that point, but it allows him to delegate out to trust people to delegate and build departments are going to put people in charge of hearing or whatever one of the interesting things he said you've got to deliver this blue check thing in one week or you're sacked <laughs> so he's coming in with he's cracking the whip and he basically said that the whole thing had just fallen to managerial bloat there was more managers than coders so he, he's cleaning out and actually this does need to happen a lot of the times i've seen organizations internally get to this point where there's more administrators than there is people doing the actual thing. Most governments. Yeah, and actually it's a kind of inertia, it's a kind of organisational bloat that, that happens over a period of time. Everyone wants to move up the pyramid and get into a position where it's that they're getting paid more money and like for they deserve this. more money because they've been there for a while so they just create a role for them and then they stop doing any work because they've earned it now. And he's just going to flush the whole thing out. And it's not like Twitter's going to stop running like it's built and it so i'm actually quite excited about what's oh that? yeah i'm super excited I'm, i like this i like he's rattling the cage obviously i don't care about him messing with the blue checks because i'm not one i don't have one and i didn't pay whatever those clowns were i'm no to, check and proud yeah no check and proud i'll probably pay the eight bucks and level my account up apparently you're going to be able to bribe your way up up the reply fees with it great i was even well, I was, twitter never had a good business model did it so this is yeah. actually Twitter's first real and, business and model. Like if you reduce adverts, I hate the adverts on Twitter. If yeah. I can pay to get rid of them, great. I think it'll work. I think a lot of people will pay the money. Yeah, if I could, if they could offer, honestly, say to me, if you pay two dollars a month, we'll get rid of all the adverts. Yeah, I'd do that. I don't even use Twitter that much, but I can't stand them. Yeah, yeah, and basically, this happens a lot. With I saw this today with Jesse Powell from Kraken releasing his updated app, Crypto Watch, and right in the reply it was like hold on a minute, you're asking me to pay for this now. I've been using this for free for years. And it's, look, we've got the bills to pay. And this is the problem when people, it's normalised. Like, Twitter is basically a public utility at this point. Yeah, People are so used to it. People have built their entire careers on it and use it every day as an audience engagement tool and all this sort of stuff. And people have expected it to be free. Yeah, And ultimately, you you can go one of two ways. You either turn it into one of these data Ponzi's where you're just reselling secondary market data, your data on the secondary market. It's basically where all Facebook went to. The you're getting they're getting the value out of you one way or another. Oh yeah. I would prefer to pay up front for it rather than be surveilled and spammed constantly with shitty adverts. I think the adage for Web two that always I think encapsulates this really well is if you're not paying for the product, you, you are, are the, the product. product. That is most definitely the case with most Web2 stuff. And yeah. I actually think Elon might, he might do both, right? He might take right. your money and make you the product as well. But he's talking about reflowing some of this money back to content creators. I think there's significant reform coming on Twitter and it's going to be quite exciting. And it's going to really piss people off, which is going to make 
for a very entertaining time. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm excited. So I know this week you went to Westminster to go yeah, yesterday. talk to those suit, the wonks in grey suits. Yeah, policy wonks, which is, I was a policy wonk for education for a few years before. If you don't realise it, Nick's actually wearing a grey suit as we speak. I know. I'm, I'm annoyingly wearing suits more often. It's really irritating me. I went from wearing my pyjamas for two years, basically. And then <laughs> now I've got to wear a suit all the time. Welcome so, back. I know. You can't escape the real world. Yeah, I was invited to come to a meeting, which was a policy meeting about stable coins and central bank digital currencies. And yeah, it was an interesting day. They had a panel there with the people from Tether and some MPs, some policymakers from the European Parliament. Big hitter room, I suppose you could say. There wasn't that many crypto. There was crypto people there, but not your JPEGers. They weren't flipping like smiley pandas or something. These were people who near the money flow in crypto. Closer to the printer. Closer to the printer. And like, I, this interests me because A, we're trying to get a little bit more onto the on the side of influencing regulation, particularly towards the DAO point of view. So I'm trying to get into more of these rooms and meet some of these MPs to convince them not to mess everything up. Largely, they are fairly clueless about crypto. That's what scares me. That's the scary bit. Yeah. That's why I just feel compelled to get involved, to to call people out on misconceptions. There's people who... I've had stand-up arguments with regulators who've been in the game since, like, longer than me, since 2014, and still not get fundamental concepts in the space. And because it's com- it is, it's mind-blowing stuff, the, there's a lot of deep knowledge that's required in the space to fully understand the implications of decisions that could be made about the space. Yeah. A lot, we talked about MICA a lot, which is the EU regulatory framework that's for crypto assets. And, you know, there was a guy from Ledger there who said it, it was a mistake, it was a mess, he hated it. I've only read bits of it because it's 250 pages long, written in legal. I've read other people's, other policy wonks interpretations of it. And basically what they're trying to do is make everyone do crypto this way. Yeah. And the EU have rushed ahead on it. So we spent quite a bit of time talking about what the implications were for stablecoins in the EU. Broadly speaking, it means things like MakerDAO cannot comply to it because it's written for centralised stablecoins. And again, last week I said, look, if you're a centralised stablecoin, you should have the appropriate backing for that thing so we don't end up with a Luna-type scenario. Um but basically, when if you write 250 pages of rules, limiting the you're limiting what you can do in some ways. So it's going to really crush experimentation in the EU. I wouldn't be surprised if huge amount of projects just exodus. Out. No one's saying if you're not there on the EU on getting zero crypto unicorns. They've <clears throat> sorry, they've in the tech world in Web two, they have only a handful of unicorns. Yes, because they did Spotify. This. Yeah. It's, it's the only one I can think of off the top of my head. I'm sure there's a couple of others. Like one of the payment platforms, Klarna, I think is European, Swedish. So I was just thinking about this and it feels to me like they've misinterpreted for the definition of first mover advantage. They've yes. gone first mover advantage regulation. The other Let's way. go hard. Let's make sure there are no first movers. Yes. In uh, our space, in, yeah. in the domain we control yeah. versus going, let's create an environment that allows innovation that we can then work with 
it's because that's not their metric of success. Right. The metric Incentive of success system. for the EU is getting other people to behave like the EU. Okay, so, so break that to an incentive model. Their win is, if you're a policymaker, if people follow your policy, if you could, so it's like a CV, right? Ah, oh, got you. It's, got like, you. it's like the Apple charging how cable. Many people, changed- I've got 25 million people doing this thing that I said they should do. Wow, super impressive. You get a promotion. Do it here. Yes. So that it's that's the nature of bureaucracy, is I am a winner because I made all these people do it the way that I wanted them to. So if we look at Apple, they've just been regulated into how the charging cables in yes. the EU now have to be USB-C, not Lightning anymore. Yeah, and so that's a that's an interesting example of... So Apple have their own proprietary chargers. Why? Because they make a shitload of money off selling bloody Lightning cables. And what... And this is actually, like, close. I was like, is this an EU rule I'm actually all right with? So they're basically saying their phones have to be USB-C, which means it's affordable for anyone to go and find a charger anywhere because all you need is USB-C for everything. Ubiquitous, cheap. Ubiquitous. But the problem is that we never get USB-D now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because they've just legislated that you have to... And Lightning, in some ways, is a better cable. And Pros and cons. The, exactly. But so... In one way, you can say that you're looking out for everyone by mandating a particular approach, but what you do is shut down the new approach that might be better. You've just put a cap on innovation. You've just said, stop, lads. That's Tools down. That's exactly Walk what... away. That's exactly what regulation does. It yeah. slows things down. It, it, in theory, makes things safer. And like a lot of my argument about what we've just talked about is what you might be doing is shutting down the technological solutions that make things safer by adding bureaucratic approaches to make things safer and it's not necessarily always that simple so anyway a lot of the day was about regulations explicitly for stable coins there was a few things that tether said that were interesting they were saying like look we go to places where banks have given up yeah i saw that tweet which is which i thought was really interesting they're saying look the Systems in particularly poor countries, because the banks aren't making a lot of money from their citizens because they don't have a lot of money, which means they don't upgrade their systems. So they're running on clunky 30-year-old infrastructure that costs a lot of money to maintain. So what you end up is a scenario where banks are needed the most is where they're most expensive because the banks are maintaining all this clunky stuff. Behind the scenes somewhere, there's a guy stamping bits of paper you need to pay that dude. Whereas over in the Western world, like if you're in the city in London, it's all on computers and high frequency algorithms and all that sort of stuff. Out in Peru or something, it's all on paper still. It's a filing cabinet. So it's expensive. And because it's expensive, that means banking is expensive. And that's where they're seeing huge take up with USDT, where, there's, where people just can't afford banks. They're too poor for a bank. And it's where the banks have given up, and that's where they're going, which was, I thought was really insightful. I spoke to some of the guys from Tether. I actually really liked them. They were very smart dudes. The Tether gets this really bad rep. It's like, oh, it might be a scam. They're going to rug anyone. It's just not the case. Like I, I spoke to two of the guys who were like their compliance officers. They spent all of their time working with regulators and do a lot of enforcement stuff. They were saying, yeah, we've recovered $100 million of hacked funds and frozen funds and they said, yeah, we're a centralised stablecoin 
we will freeze your money if you scam someone with and they've got like teams and teams of people running compliance and all that sort of stuff and what they're doing with the money that they're holding they've they're just way more transparent about it than they ever had been before but what they're doing is keeping up with the regulation up to this point it would have been totally possible for years that tether actually had nothing in their bank yeah because there was nothing forcing them to open up what was in it now they're being forced to open up what's in it and they're in rooms like we were in yesterday and yeah there's a couple of things that's like i can't really say on this that was that i'll tell you afterwards but there's other players in the game who were upset that they weren't there let's just say that yeah and be saying yeah that was interesting. now the cbdc's bit remain continue to terrify me we may well storm in to one in the uk the mp that was there basically said look if we don't do it soon so he's talk, using the first mover advantage language i think first mover advantage on cbdc's is again a really bad but that's what they wanted they're worried about the eu doing it definitely going to do that they're, a lot of mica is the foundation like you crushing a bit of crushing retail open innovation is fine for them because what they want is their internal innovation leading on the cbdc front i think there's some desire internally in the UK government to do the same thing. If the digital euro hits, we need Bitcoin on its tail fast because we can't have the EU doing banking better than us. So I think we're going in. I think there's going to be a British stable CBDC. Now it's what does that look like? I managed to ask the MP about this, mainly around the privacy point. So he said the great thing about CBDCs is that the traceability. Like, we can see where all the money is, which means money laundering will be impossible. So, basically, you can't use this to money launder with because we see it all. And he said, but he said, actually, but what it means is, like, your privacy will be better with private companies. So, basically, what I'm starting to build the design in my head as he's talking, and what I think they'll do is they'll have authorised providers like Sainsbury's or FTX. <laughs> I whether they get on the whitelist or not will be an interesting one but let's just say Sainsbury's yeah. they're one of the good guys we know they're good so you can transact with Sainsbury's and the government doesn't need to see the detail of those transactions no one needs to know same with O2 and British Gas or whatever so that that they're going to use like privacy technology to make the detail of those transactions completely anonymized. but if I'm going to send you money they're going to want to know why over what? a certain value or do you reckon any didn't say at some point i actually said so i said does that mean so i asked him look okay you said traceability I'm sh- I'm sh- <laughs> like, this whole thing is making me feel really uncomfortable yeah but, and, really and so i said look so does that mean peer-to-peer transactions aren't going to be private and his words were something along the lines of look the government it, he said something along the lines of the money is a tool of the government and they are going to want to step in to reach their policy goals. Some of that is going to be improve dark money problems that, that's happening in the country. They want it like the degree of crime that happens in the country could, in theory, be minimized by spotting transactions that are for illegal purposes or whatever. He's said they're going to want to do that. Like they so he, he had I know the government, <laughs> they're, they're, they're going to want to do that. No way they're not. So, yeah, Bitcoin. CBDCs are not, they're exactly what I imagined them to be. They're not going to be transparent. They are exactly for surveillance. They want to see the transaction activity that's happening. But I did ask him, do you see a place for cash 
in a world where there's CBDCs. And he said, there will always be cash. There's always going to be a place for cash. Now, if he said, maybe not, I would have been very worried. Uh, but I think, I don't know what this guy's position is, but I assume he holds the whip. Oh, no. He was a... I, I he's not a backbencher. I don't know, actually. I'd not heard of him, so he's not exactly a big player. I mean, he's like an hundred backbenchers, though, right? Yeah. But all my point being was that you know, there are coordinated lines that people have to give at, when you're minister in parliament. Yeah. You have to oh, this abide is, by This line. is what I mean. He's been in rooms So he's where- just saying that just to make everybody feel... Because let's be honest, the government can say what they want and then backtrack whenever they want. Exactly. No, there's no absolutely no reason to trust that they wouldn't CBDC in circulation then then take cash out of circulation, especially since all of the illicit activity will move to cash at that point. So now there'll be like all of a sudden a huge demand for cash. And so, yeah, I think there's absolutely no guarantee that there's a place for cash in the future because this dude said it. That is like, absolutely terrifying. It gets more terrifying. They are... So the... What worries me about CBDCs is the programmability. Yes, absolutely. This so is why I'm terrified. If this is the dawn of permissioned money, you are allowed to spend your money as long as it's in this way. Yeah. So I, using my Turing complete smart contracting language, I can put any logic on why and how you can spend money. And there was a dude from Cambridge University there who'd been, essentially Cambridge hosted like a hackathon for banks. And there was winners. He said Lloyd's Bank won. Barclays were annoyed about it. And it was like a hackathon for banks. And what the hackathon was about is programmability in CBDCs. So that very much thinking about how you could... So, yes, you're allowed to spend your money on this and not this is most certainly something they are looking at. Using it to reform things like universal credit, and which instantly means, okay, you're on benefits, right? But... Inst- you can't not, buy cigarettes anymore. Not buying ciggies with it, mate. You're spending that on food for your kids or on sanctioned things. Probably going to happen. And then any dystopian nightmare you can Basically dream. Basically making digital ration books. It, that you can start to think of it as more like vouchers for specific use cases. And there is no doubt ways that you could improve society with that tool. Like, I, I could think of dozens of ways of smart... I design smart contracts for a living. There's loads of things that you could do for making sure money goes to a specific way that could potentially improve society. But there's also a whole load of horrific things you could do with it. And my problem is with that, as you've got this thing mass adopted, everyone's using it, maybe you've got rid of cash at this point. Now what happens if some loony party comes in, like all of a sudden some ultra-right-wing party gains massive prominence? They're not in the game at the moment but 10-15 years time Italy's just look at it literally doing the thing yeah yeah and, and I don't know much about Italian politics and but they do well, it's have, the first extreme right wing since Mussolini yeah they've got this legacy is, with fascist parties and all that sort of stuff I don't know what they're like now or whatever it's but we could end up with some absolute cranks because we are a democracy come out of left field or right field whichever way you want to and then they are in control of this thing that allows you to remove freedom from everyone. Because if you take away people's money, you take away their freedom. I just, it just only just dawned on me now, actually, that what we're talking about, CBDCs, actually, I'm going to call it a fascist enabling technology. Could and, be. And the reason why I'm going to say that is because I think the definition of fascist and fascism 
actually often gets misused and uh, misused and is skewed, right? Yeah. And that and I mean, the definition, as far as I'm aware, please tell me if I'm wrong, is it's the merger of government and industry. And it's when the government controls industry is essentially what fascism is. That's, that was Mussolini's definition. He, that was oh, his, his definition. I've actually heard that before. Yeah, that's what I mean. So looking at CBDCs, you're essentially giving the government's tools that can enable them to do that. Yeah, for me, it's using force to make people to comply to an, an ideology, right? It, it's it's, And this is the problem. I look at things in terms of power asymmetry. It's exactly what we've talked about all the way through. All those rug problems, all those types of rug, where there was an asymmetry in power yes. between party A and party B. Yes. And party A is the government, yes. and they might be benevolent now, but who knows what they might... And this is what governments need to be thinking about. You think you're going to be in power. For, what if that isn't the case? Yeah. If you give a power, a technological tool, to the government, you might not be in control of it in the future. Who guards the guards. Yeah, exactly. I, and so that's what worries me about it. So for me, look, there's an instance of central bank digital currencies which improve settlement at the banking layer. There is ways that you can use a central bank digital currency where banks have direct, instead of just the Bank of England having access to the central banks or whatever, instead of just being like a single, not many people have access to the central bank. Central bank digital currencies allow essentially retail, like me, what I'm doing is directly sending, getting my money from the central bank for whatever reason. So I might do a forex swap, like if I'm going to buy some euros, I might directly transact to the central bank in order to get them. And, and I'm disintermediating taking the banks, the retail banks, out of the game and improving settlement efficiency. And as long as I'm transacting along rails that I've pre-approved, then it's all cool. Actually, it might radically improve settlement, stuff like that. So there are ways, and that's actually where I think it should stay. I think retail CBDC should be avoided like the plague for as long as possible. And But yeah, they're going to happen. There's no, no two ways about it. Yeah, I think yeah, this has been a chilling conversation. Actually, I think we need to do one on CBDCs. There's we lot, could do there's lot to I, cover. So I've been writing, I've been writing a paper for quite some time since I think it started in 2018, called the Dawn of Permission Money, because I realised, hold on a minute, when governments get hold on smart contracts, they'll be able to do this. And yeah, and I'm slightly worried about giving them ideas, frankly. Yeah, <laughs> that's the other side of me. I'm like, I do got we, some. You probably we could do UBI too, with it. Yeah. Like we could do all sorts of potentially social very, credit. We could do all sorts of potentially interesting things with it. Yeah. But anyway, let's talk about Matt Hancock. I was going to say, so we got a, a bit of time left. I'm wondering if we actually just talk about Mars Token. All right, and we can move. I mean, the only reason why I brought up Matt Hancock is because he's rugged himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has rugged himself. He's rugged himself. Yes, he, he has. He did not listen to the don't rug yourself advice. He's no. just done, I'm our boy inside the government, the one, Matt Hancock. The, the great white hype. I had <laughs> dinner with him that night. We got on like a house on fire. Go on, Matt. <laughs> get it in. And he's like, yeah, like I give him some, I was like, Matt, like you, we've got to get on board. And then he used the same words at the Zebu Live thing. And I was like, go on, Matt. And now he's signed up. For clout. So he to, didn't, so I don't think he rugged himself. Cockroaches. What he's done is he's tried to set himself up for the next phase of his career. He yeah. knows his career in politics is done. His career is now in Hello Magazine so or whatever and being become a, pundit. a pundit. basically. Pundit. Let's give myself, like you say, clout is a great way of putting it. Let's give myself some yeah. social credits. And I've got a pack. I think he needs to like, I think he thinks 
he needs to pay penance for whatever the hell happened over the last two years with everything that He's went down. He's an old name. Like, the, people love a redemption story. I think when he got, like, basically frozen out by Rishi, he just got ghosted by him. He literally basically knew there was no place for him in Rishi's government. And that's that. And that's that. Game yeah. over. So there goes our crypto guy. He's now just going to do ant and deck humiliation porn. <laughs> Eat was, kangaroo anus. Yeah. For months. Anyway. So, um, yeah, final one. Yes, um, the last one was the mask token. You brought this up just before the... the yeah, the so it's morning. Actually. Binance, as we know, are in the Twitter deal, and they are releasing a, a perpetual swap contract, which is a basket of three tokens. BNB, Doge, it's called Burb Perp or something, Bird Perp or something like that. And the third token is called Mask. I was like, what is this? That's not the MetaMask token, which is what people speculated the mass token would be, and it's some project. And the project basically allows you to, via tweets, interact with the blockchain. So basically, you can like have transactions via Twitter. It's like a essentially a browser plugin that allows you to interact. There's a few of these things around. It's not necessarily endorsed directly by Twitter. It's just some third-party app that uses the Twitter API, or even just hooks data from tweets and ingests them into a, a toolbar. And basically what it allows you to do is do what they call initial Twitter offerings, which is an ICOs. It, the, basically, CZ is bringing ICOs back, and you'll be able to ape into ICOs, ape into shitcoins via tweets. Given that we just talked about rugs for the last <laughs> <laughs> hour and a bit, it's, it is quite incredible that they're basically going to bring it to the lowest common denominator, essentially. They, they're now really taking rugs to the masses. Before you had to be... <laughs> taking rugs to the... You had to be relatively technical before. You had to, like, have a wallet, do all these oh, things. Oh, yeah, yeah. Going, like, greasing the wheels. Yeah, on, now it's just, like... On scams, potentially. It depends what they do. Yeah. If you raise tokens, if you're doing an ICO, and on the back end there's a DAO, maybe not. But, yeah, and uh, so I've predicted this last year. I might dig up my prediction thread that I made, one of which was, like, ICO is going to come back. I just, like... Thought people have really pissed off with VCs owning all the tokens, and that will just make ICOs come back. Open public crowd sales. And that's how projects get their money. And instead of five big VC companies holding all the tokens, there's 25,000 holders on day one. This could be it. And I'm all for it. I thought the ICO model was better than what we ended up with in the last cycle, as will be played out by... Now, obviously, it's all the trust problems with those centralized companies holding all the tokens i don't hate it i don't hate it it depends how good the projects are so it depends on whether whoever mask is can vet or and it might be binance that does it binance it will be binance yeah, they probably. seem to want to own I don't all hate aspects it. bring icos back i'm not in, i'm not buying them <laughs> <laughs> yeah we've mid curved that the whole way yeah. like, no um, you can keep your billions. We don't want to. I, I think if people want to ape into shit coins via Twitter, I'm all for it. There you go. The official word from Doctor Nick. <laughs> don't quote me on that. Look, appreciate everybody joining us today for this conversation. I hope it's been really insightful for you, to, for you guys. It has been for me. As ever, there's the show notes where there'll be links to all the articles we talked about today. There's going to be the breakdown of Nick's various types of rugs. And we'll also have the link to a couple of threads for Nick that you can see what he's been talking about. So again, if you don't follow Nick, you're missing out. There's a lot of 
quote unquote alpha there but in terms of our project as well finance.vote we'd love you guys to come and get involved and we're going to do more on the prediction market soon there's a lot to talk about there so we look forward to covering that in more detail in the next couple of episodes so yeah again if you want to be a part of this project um you know you can come and get a finance.vote nft on the ethereum chain that gives you access to be able to give contributions to the podcast tell us what you want to do in terms of topics also be involved in the DAO in general if you want to play the game you could buy yourself an sbt and that allows you to predict on our prediction markets and get involved in the project in that way so there's loads of different ways to support us and again we really appreciate your time we look forward to seeing you guys next week and have a great week see you later see you later cheers nick <laughs>